From tornadoes to hurricanes, blizzards, and everything in between, you're listening to the Stormfront Freaks Podcast. The Stormfront Freaks are former television meteorologist Mark Massaro, collegiate senior in atmospheric science Brady Harris, digital meteorologist and weather producer for The Lift on the Weather Channel app Dina Knightley, social media specialist and meteorologist at the Weather Channel Jen Watson, and I'm your announcer and Skywarn Network radio operator Mark Johnson. Now, here's the moderator of the Stormfront Freaks podcast, amateur storm spotter Phil Johnson. Welcome to the most entertaining weather podcast on your listening device. We are the Stormfront Freaks podcast. Thank you for listening. This is episode 16, and our guest will be forensic meteorologist and president of Weather Extreme Limited, Dr. Elizabeth Austin. Uh, we're also going to have some fun discussing why no one knows where they live, and they can't seem to identify themselves within a warning polygon. Uh, we're going to have to talk a little bit about that. And then at the end of the show, we're also going to share some exciting updates coming up to season 2.0 and talk about our upcoming guest list. So you're going to want to catch that as well. Uh, what's coming up in 2017, but first let's go ahead and say hi to the team and uh, let's find out what everyone's drinking. MJ, let's start with you. All right. Today I have a uh, fine brew from new Holland brewery brewing company in uh, Holland, Michigan called dragon's milk. It's referred to as a bourbon barrel aged stout. And uh, Ooh, it, that sounds uh, deadly. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's very good. It's very different, but uh, that uh, bourbon barrel age taste you certainly get, and it's uh, pretty tasty. Does it have an alcohol content percentage listed anywhere on there? Yeah, eleven percent. Yeah, I figured that's going to be potent. All right, Maz, Maz, you got something better than milk tonight? Or are we still on the uh, the cow train? No, I didn't have any cookies tonight, so thus the milk is gone. No, in honor of my impending oil change, Guinness Draft. Just saying. Aha. Is that your oil change or is that your vehicle's oil change? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good answer. Jen, uh, Jen, what do you got tonight, if I should ask? A refreshing glass of water. Actually, oh. from my tap, it's trying to stay hydrated. You know, it's oh, a little dry. Crazy. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of Christmas it's parties. a Sam Adams tap. <laughs> Sam Adams water. Sam Adams glass. It is. Yeah. It is. It's, it's a Sam Adams glass. So I'm joining in on the fun, but it's it's water. It's refreshing and delicious. Okay. But I also have a Lacroix on standby, just in case. Oh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> We're still you're going okay. for that sponsorship. Double fisting it, double fisting it tonight. All right, and we will ask our guest, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Austin. Elizabeth, uh, you got something tonight? Well, I, I'd like to take what MJ has, but I'm in the office still, so I just have a, a hot tea. <laughs> so because of your well, location, you, you can't have something harder than a hot tea? Is that why? Uh, no, I can. It's just I was working up until the time of the show, so I didn't get a chance. <laughs> Well, when we take our first break, feel free to to help yourself on that. Okay. Um, let's do. Uh, I, I want to do a little listener update. Episode fifteen, which was our last episode with Tom Nizzle, it set our twenty four hour download record. So I want to uh, thank everybody yes. that made that happen. That was uh, crazy, amazing. We're setting a lot of records yes. right now, and we've also now reached downloads in all fifty states. So thank we you finally list. got. Thank you. Thank you to our listener in Wyoming. Yeah, we, we finally got someone in Wyoming um, to, to cross the border, I guess, maybe to, to download. And we are, have downloads now in over 33 countries. 
so That's things are great. moving. Uh, yeah, we're excited. We we figured Maz we figured Maz has to start picking up a new language here soon. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Payment so speak English. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You don't. Uh, I also want to recommend everybody about uh, let them know about Stormfront Freaks Raw. We've basically posted the video version of our show with the breaks and everything you don't hear or see on our edited podcast. And now that that does include possible unedited language. So just kind of get, get, let you know it's a PG-13 version. But episodes 14, 15, and 16 are available. If you go to our, our webpage, stormfrontfreaks.com, uh, you'll find the links to the YouTube channel. And the other thing we want to do, it's now time to give away the Red Cross Emergency Preparedness Kit that we have had uh, for the yeah. last three weeks. We've had a, it's, it's been a social media giveaway that we've done on Twitter and yes. Facebook. Our episode cool. number 14 was, uh, we talked a little bit about some weather products as we were getting ready for the, the holiday shopping season and everything. And so one of the things that we were going to give away was this uh, Red Cross emergency preparedness kit, really a backpack. And I'll share what, what, what all is in this thing. Uh, battery-powered flashlight, two D-cell batteries, portfolio first aid kit, 2,400-calorie food bar, comfort kit, breathing yeah. mask, rain poncho, duct tape that everyone Always needs. Need that. Always need that. Four water <laughs> rations or, or water pouches. And if you want to know what that is, I... I Swear to God, you got to watch Stormfront watch Freaks Raw, uh, episode 14, and watch Brady try and drink <laughs> from his water pouch uh, and comment about the, you know. It was hilarious. Uh, there's one water container. There is a peeless whistle, which, again, if you want to see how that works or doesn't work, watch the episode watch and watch Brady. Yep. Two hand sanitizers, six moist towelettes. And uh, an Eaton hand crank weather radio awesome. uh, is all in this thing. This is 99 bucks. But anyway, so we ran a contest on Twitter and Facebook to give this bad boy away. And uh, we're going to go ahead and give this away right now. I've got a uh, – you can, you can get these cool randomizers on your, your phone. It's an app. And I entered everybody in. We had like 60, 60 people eligible to qualify. Nice. Uh, so give me a drum roll, everybody. Uh, <laughs> hey. that's perfect christmas vacation drum roll our winner is uh it's a twitter address it's at matt 8126 all right so at, at matt 8126 is our winner so congratulations at matt uh we will get you uh your your pack, and we'll try and send that out to you here before Christmas. So, congratulations! Congratulations! All right. So, without further ado, let's get to uh, what we're all here for to begin with, which is our guest. And Jen, I will go ahead and let you take it over. So, we have the amazing Dr. Elizabeth Austin here. She is a world-renowned atmospheric physicist and the founder and president of Weather Extreme Limited. She is one of the foremost experts on the worldwide impact of weather and extreme weather, and she is also regarded as one of the world's leading forensic meteorologists. And Elizabeth's expert witness experience includes civil and criminal cases, state and federal actions in the U.S. and worldwide. She is also the author of Treading on Thin Air, 
and she is the chief scientist meteorologist for the groundbreaking and record-breaking Perlin Project, or Perlan Project, which we are going to ask her about. But uh, Elizabeth, we're going to call you Elizabeth. So Elizabeth, what sparked your interest in weather, and how did you get into forensic meteorology? Well, you know, it's so interesting because I was in graduate school, and there was a here at the University of Nevada, Reno, and the Desert Research Institute. And at the Institute, there was a brand new graduate student that had come from Asheville, North Carolina. And he had been an intern at the National Climatic Data Center. And that's our official archiver of weather data in the United States. So he shows up, and we're all kind of graduate students sitting around chatting. And he said, he started talking about forensic meteorology. And my jaw dropped, and I said, what is that? And then he went into this whole explanation of it and how attorneys call all the time, insurance companies, investigators, all kinds of people for weather data. And he went into the whole thing, and I thought, wow, that's I want to do that. So yeah. that kind of started it. Oh, that's so you neat. Paid, like, cool. for forecast, or how does that work in the courtroom? Well, you reconstruct weather for litigation purposes, essentially. And um, although I do reconstruct weather for all kinds of things that don't relate to litigation, but um, so you go back and you have the benefit, of course, of having all kinds of data that perhaps weren't available at the time, but you also have the disadvantage of some of the data actually disappear, although we're archiving more and more data as time goes on. It's much better now than when I first started in this. Um, and you reconstruct the events as to what happened, whether it be, you know, a murder, a plane crash, a boat sinking, building collapse, um, whatever it may be. And it's like a clean slate. And most of the time you work with other experts to determine what happened. And it's, I would say, the majority of the time, it's a combination of events. It's usually just not one big event that happened. It's kind of a culmination of things that happened, and you kind of piece it together and figure out what went wrong and what caused this accident, incident, death, whatever it may be. So you, you started so like, um, Weather Extreme Limited. So that that's one of the things that your company does, correct, is the forensic meteorology, right? Yes, that's one of the things, right. But so my, my understanding is you started, uh, based on your book, you started that one year after you received your doctoral degree. My, I'm curious, that's, having a, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. That's how it looks on paper. Um, I actually finished <laughs> my doctorate a year before that. It's just that I had, um, I had six people on my committee and three of the six were lived overseas. And so trying to get them to sign and okay everything at the end, <laughs> sure. I, okay. I, yeah, I turned it in late. And so, yeah. well, late, but like a week. Was it after your classwork? Was, I mean, basically oh, no. after it had been, okay. It had been a couple of years after I finished and I did a postdoc and all kinds of stuff. It's just the dates, the way the dates worked out just because of the, Technicalities of um, submitting my dissertation. Okay. At the well, end. Re regardless, yeah. you obviously started that fairly soon into your post-education career, right? Yes, I did. 
my so curious just from having a business background is is i guess what motivated you to go you know s- screw this work uh working in the field i'm i'm going to just start my own business what prompted you to want to do that or or what motivated you to go into business so soon well I, it had been on my radar actually for a while even though it looks like it was soon i had wanted to do that and you know, when you first start your business, the phone doesn't actually ring off the hook. So while I first started my business, I was actually still um, teaching skiing for a living part while I was going to graduate school. And then I was teaching uh, at a four-year private college at Lake Tahoe. So I kept doing that actually for quite some time because that enabled me to get a paycheck and um mm-hmm. And it's a teaching institution, so they didn't have any problem with me doing research and consulting and all that on the side. It's called Sierra Nevada College. And so I stayed there actually for quite a bit of time while I kind of developed and matured the company. Okay. So now that you have your own business, can uh, can you charge more to teach skiing? funny i try to teach our son but he doesn't want any part of me teaching him (laughs) (laughs) of course not well i have kids too yeah so so okay so i want to get into because i think this this forensic meteorology i think that's really it seems like an up-and-coming uh opportunity for meteorologists um but it, it also is is very intriguing to me anyway Tell and and in your book, um, treading on on thin air, we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. But I, you used all kinds of different examples of some cases that you had been involved in. Tell me first off, what do you think Elizabeth was your most intense case? Oh boy, that's a good question. Um, I, I have to say probably the double murder death penalty case, just because of the ramifications of that case. Um, and the gravity of it. But that, in addition to a lot of the big aviation cases where um, the ones you see on the news where the big airliners go down, um, just because you have so much at stake, um, so many deaths, so many various parties involved um, from manufacturers of components and the aircraft and the people that have or families of people who have been killed. Um, those probably are the biggest, although I say that. And then some, it's interesting that you ask that because then actually some of the cases where you may just have one individual who is killed, but the ramifications of what happens from the outcome of the case can be huge. For example, the Amber White parasailing case where now they actually have laws on the books in the state of Florida, and I believe two other states now have actual parasailing laws on the books. Um, things you don't think about, even here at Lake Tahoe, for example, when you go parasailing, is that there are no regulations on, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with most of the, the groups, but you have to be careful when you go do things like this jumping out of airplanes, that's one thing right. to solve. Can, can you um, explain that case a little bit, I guess, Elizabeth, to our listeners? What, what exactly 
What was that about? Yeah, that, that's a really sad case. It was two sisters, and they were down in Florida on vacation, and the mom, um, they went with friends, a group of friends, and uh, friends of the family, and, the, and their mother didn't travel with them. And they wanted to go out parasailing, and they called their mom on the cell phone, or uh, phone, I'm not sure what kind, and, you know, begging and pleading is kids do uh, you know they were young but uh, they weren't like little babies we yeah. want to go we want to go but the weather was coming in and so she agreed and they went out on the boat and the winds were coming in there were thunderstorms and the winds were coming in and what happened is it's all on video too unfortunately the parasail ended up over a set of hotels that lie along the beach and once it becomes a certain strength of wind they're not able to actually bring them in crank them in with the system they have and so they were being drugged along the rooftops Ooh. and uh, it was horrible and then finally the rope broke and one of the sisters died and one of the sisters lived and I uh, this. One, yeah yeah. yeah. So, so, so now, what what um, what were you involved in? I guess why would they hired you to do? What was your task? To reconstruct the weather for the event, and in that case, we had the video evidence on top of all of the the uh, meteorological data. So, and you know, eyewitnesses too. You know, and in a lot of cases, eyewitnesses. You know, there may be just a few eyewitnesses or a lot of eyewitnesses, but you have to be careful. Um, you have to take eyewitnesses with a grain of salt, um, especially meteorologically speaking. You may have a witness that has really no knowledge of weather, they, but they may be a farmer, and they may mm -hmm. really know, you know, they may not be trained professional, but they know a lot about it. And then there are others that may not know anything about it, so they're trying to gauge and judge, you know, the wind speed and clouds. And so some people may say, oh, it was super cloudy. And other people may say, oh, it was really clear. Well, the, what happens is you might have, let's say, a high cloud deck, you know, let's say, you know, 10,000 feet. Well, some people will see that and say it's really cloudy, and other people will just look straight out and say, oh, it's totally clear. So <laughs> you have to, yeah. you know, you have to, Yeah. <laughs> Do you get like emotional or like stressed out when, when doing these types of cases, especially when it's, you know, uh, you know, about people that were killed in, in different situations? It, like, how do you handle your emotions and, and the stress of that? You know, that's interesting. It's, it's kind of like you have to put it on check while you're doing the investigative work and just think about the task at hand. And then I'll get really into the weather about you know so i'll kind of put it aside um, but i have to say there are times where sometimes you're allowed to sit in the courtroom as an expert witness prior to testifying and sometimes the judge says doesn't allow it so you mm -hmm. just sit outside and you walk in do your spiel and you leave but the times where you're allowed to come into the courtroom and, and i'm allowed to watch opening statements that's yeah. when it's difficult and I have to kind of put my emotions in check, but that's when I find it difficult. Sure. 
say Elizabeth in, in, in reading some of the sections of your book, I, I was just amazed at how many different instances in which forensic meteorology comes into play. I was, I was just amazed at that. Um, but I know you mentioned the first case you mentioned when Phil asked the question, um, was the double murder uh, death penalty case. That was the one that happened that involved twilight. Is, is that right? Yeah, it actually involved lighting conditions. But, yeah. It, yeah, and it became a little more complicated because, uh, as it turned out, when looking back on things, I realized when I looked back on the case to write about it, that I wasn't given, no fault of anyone's, but... Um, all of the information, which happens sometimes, and it turns out later t- testimony asked the mind that there was some discussion about actually the time of the murders. So the times may have been different, may not, I'm not sure, but I testified to just the facts, and that's exactly right, the cloud cover, the lighting conditions, the twilights, that sort of thing, right? So, Elizabeth, so with all the heavy stuff that you've done, like what's the most exciting and fun part that you like look forward to with your business? The Perland Project, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> you know, we're, the Perland Project is, Perland means it's P-E-R-L-A-N. Um, it's Icelandic, and uh, it's for the pearlescence-type cloud, mother of pearl clouds that form up in the stratosphere. And... That is a project. It's not just a record-setting project, but it is a project to take a manned glider, two pilots, no engine, to 100,000 feet. That's and wild. It is. And we're in phase two of it right now. So phase two is to get to 90,000 feet. Mm. And we we have to use the polar night jet. So we have to be on the edge of the polar vortex, which means we have to be in one of the poles, the North Pole near the near the North Pole or South Pole in their respective winter times, um, and we use mountain waves, and then the polar night jet allows these to these mountain waves to carry on up into the stratosphere. So we're dealing with generally cold conditions. Um, we don't have that much daylight, and uh, dangerous because you can get breaking mountain waves, terrible turbulence. Um, you can have all kinds of issues. So, uh, but we've got the glider outfitted with all kinds of atmospheric instruments, as well as these CubeSats. NASA has these CubeSats um, that they've. So we just use their design, and we have these small little like cubby holes, so to speak, where anyone can put their. They just um, you know they submit something, and we decide, you know, who goes on there, um, they can put their experiments on there. And even like a third grade class this year put their experiment on there. They put a marshmallow in there and they wanted to see how the marshmallow was affected by going up at cold <laughs> temperatures. So it's really, it's really great. I just saw elf. So when you say temperature uh, or when you say marshmallow, I, just, <laughs> I, I think Will Ferrell just playing with the cotton balls and the doctor's room and 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 i'll add that right now here in minnesota we think the polar vortex is right where we are so you might be able to do it here (laughs) (laughs) yeah we did the same marshmallow experiment next to fire we found it's quite good yeah (laughs) so so since you're on the the perland project elizabeth um 
what one of the things I found interesting and and obviously I'll be honest with you, probably what you're involved in from the weather standpoint of catching these waves off the mountains and a lot of that is just shoom, o- over my head and that's that's why you guys get paid the big bucks to figure that stuff out. Uh, I was interested in the fact that the the first flight was I, I was interested in the pressurization and the first flight it sounded like they wore pressure suits. Um, but that apparently was limiting, uh, somewhat limiting that the second phase that you guys are working on now, you're, you're pressurizing the compartment. Is that correct? Yes. So the first phase, Steve Fawcett um, and Aner and Avoldson were the pilots. And what we did is we just used an off-the-shelf but highly modified glider and took the engine out of it. Some some of the gliders actually do have little like snowmobile looking engines on them, and mm-hmm. outfitted it with oxygen and all this other stuff. And they wore NASA pressure suits. But what happened was these suits, as you get up to altitude, they get very uncomfortable because they, and so it gets harder to move, difficult, and they can't sweat in these because mm-hmm. um, then that causes condensation and things, and then they can't see. So mm. it's a whole slew of things. So, and they have to wear diapers. Um, <laughs> you know, it sounds strange, but they have to wear diapers. In these What's things. wrong with that? Nothing. And glider pilots, they they generally wear diapers anyway because if you're going to be up for you know six, That's eight, true. nine hours. That's true. You know. So. <laughs> Nature but, falls. You hit a big downdraft. First you say it, and then you do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> So they, they they set the record, the world record, a little over 50,000 feet, and both Aner and, St- and Steve looked at each other, well, t- spoke to each other and said, you know, we, we proved our point, let's go down, and now let's ba- build the aircraft. And so now we're in phase two, and unfortunately Steve Fawcett was killed in that plane crash down by Mammoth Lakes, California. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. set us back, actually, and slowed the project down for a few years. And... Mm-hmm. Now we had uh, Dennis Tito come on board. Um, the name may not sound familiar, but he was the first uh, man to go into space with the Russians, the first American, excuse me. And, um, and he, he helped get us going again. And then Airbus came on as our title sponsor. So we have the aircraft built now. We, we were in uh, Argentina this past year, which was a terrible year for waves down in South America, we got up to about 22, 23,000 feet. Uh, but we weren't there for very long because we were still building the aircraft up until the time we could take it down and we were there for just a few weeks. So we are all set to go. Um, we're gonna be flying the aircraft. It's, it's, it's such a great looking aircraft. It's all carbon fiber. It's really cool looking. Neat windows and the paint job, and on top of it, it's super strong aircraft, so it can take a lot of G's. It's beautiful looking, and we are going to be flying it with Sierra starting in about February, and we may actually even set a a new world record, beat our own record in the Sierra, but we won't be able to get, you know, up to 90,000 feet in the Sierra because obviously there's no polar vortex here. So then we're going to head back down to El Calafate, Argentina, uh, and be ready to start flying about mid-July. 
So I want to, Elizabeth, I want a, a quick jump to your book, um, Treading on Thin Air. And the, the question I've got for you on this, this, I'll tell you what, this book was, you did a very good job of explaining and using past history, uh, things like that, that I really enjoyed reading a little bit about. It might be things like D-Day. It might be something about the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald, some of the plane crashes that uh, you've been involved forensically with, to then explain weather concepts and, and things of that nature. And I thought it was a great way of using something in the past that really caught my attention. Um, and again, things like, uh, especially D-Day and talking about, you know, that the, the day was specified because of the weather and the tide something like that to then get into explaining weather concepts. And that does a great job for someone like me, who's not a meteorologist. I'm not an atmospheric scientist, a guy with a biology degree, right. That uh, to help me better understand weather, not only weather terminology, but weather concepts and, and how it works. My question is number really two questions. What got, what made you decide to go, Hey, I should write a book. Number one. Number two, what, what gave you the idea to go to, to use those historical moments to help explain weather concepts? You know, for a while I've wanted to write a book, and for a long time I was thinking, well, I should write a book about forensic meteorology. And, and then I was being asked to write textbooks. And I thought, you know, I just want to write a book that is a little bit more accessible to everyone. I want my mom to read it, my dad, my friends, uh, my family, and be able to get a glimpse into this world that at least I enjoy so much. And in order to do that, I thought I have to, it has to be disarming. And I have to use real world, you know, scenarios and stories and, and factual events that have occurred. But I'm also giving it through my perspective. So it's kind of a unique combination of a memoir combined with weather and climate and these different events. And that's how I decided to to write the book. So I thought, well, as long as I'm writing it, I've got to lay it all out there and um, talk about my life, talk about events and my ideas about things, but also about what ha what has gone on in our history, this amazing history of weather and climate. And uh, so that's kind of where it all stemmed from. You know, it, it's interesting because, you, know, you know, everybody talks about weather and, and to say, well, you know, weather impacts everything. You read your book and it really got my mind going where, where you know, there's so many areas from a business standpoint that you can make money in, like whether you talk about the Home Depot versus Lowe's or it's just like, Oh wow. I need to, I need to live another lifetime just so I can do more stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. I know. You know, it does impact everything and it impacts so much about not just business, which is huge. Well, you know, just on that line, you know, that's why, you know, the National Weather Service and NOAA is in the Department of Commerce, which a lot of people, I just think, don't realize. But that's a natural place for it to be in True. the Department of Commerce. It's a good point. And then, yeah, and then if you think about it, how we feel, you know, every day it impacts so much about how we feel. Is it cloudy 
oh, I don't, you know, you get a little depressed or is it raining or is it sunny or, you know, it just impacts everything that you do. So, yeah, I just, I'm just a fan, obviously. <laughs> well, we've so, got your... So what's your, your second book going to be? <laughs> True. I, I don't know question. yet. <laughs> What's the I don't know, but there will be another one. No, I'll, I'll tell you this. Your your publisher, Pegasus Books, was kind enough to actually send us a copy. That So we've got a copy we're going to give away to one of our lucky listeners. Um, we're going to have more details on that here later in the podcast. Uh, but let me ask you this um, before we get to our, our lightning round. How, how can our listeners follow you, Elizabeth, what, and contact you? Uh well, my main way is weatherextreme.com. They can go online and they can email me from there. I also have um, drelizabethaustin.tv, I think is the website, for things like when I'm giving talks or going places, that sort of thing. Uh, but weatherextreme.com is probably the easiest and best way. Very good. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump to our lightning round. Uh, this is our speed round of fun questions for our guest. And Elizabeth knows nothing. I, I didn't even give her a heads up on what you to did. expect tonight. Um, here's, here's the key. You, you guys may not know this, but Dr. Austin's father is composer Patrick Moody Williams. He is the uh, winner of two Grammys, four Emmys, and one Oscar nomination for wow. his jazz tv and film compositions uh and get this he has arranged music for frank sinatra okay this blew me away he's also uh he's had john williams who on the night of star wars rogue one opening up uh john williams the conductor of star wars and many many he's he actually conducted a piece uh, that Elizabeth's uh, dad had had composed. Um, he's also wow. a, his music has accompanied shows such as Columbo, Lou Grant, the Mary Tyler Moore Show. I think that's Maz's favorite show. <laughs> the Bob Newhart Show, The Streets of San Francisco, and The Simpsons, just to name a few. Wow! So here's what we're gonna do, Elizabeth. Um, this this is all about you tonight, but we figured we'll we'll give you a little connection here as well to your dad. Uh, we're gonna play a TV version of Name That Tune. Oh God! Okay. <laughs> uh, but here, here's what you have no to pressure. understand: no because pressure. of our our low tech setups and licensing issues, we're low we're budget. not playing with music. Yeah, we we don't have any music to play you. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna share the lyrics of popular TV shows to see if you can, uh, we're going to do two things. See if you can finish the line of the, of the song that I start to, to give you the lyrics to. And if you can name the TV show that it belongs to. Okay. Are you ready? I'm all set. All right. Pull those bootstraps up here. Here is the first one. (laughs) Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries, it sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go. What's the rest of the line? Oh, God. You know I know that. Um, And if you don't, you can name, do you know the show, the name of the show that that's to? 
You know, I don't, but I know, I know that one, but I don't. Here's a hint. <laughs> All right. Sometimes you want to go. Mm, Where everybody help. knows your name. Oh, All right. Name the TV. Name the TV show. Anybody. It's open to anybody. Cheers. 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 All right. Oh, my God. No, that's good. All right, so second one. Was, Let's go. Wait, Let's wait, go. wait. While Elizabeth was studying, we were all watching TV, right? That's <laughs> how it goes. Yes. That's true. All right, well, here's the next one. Let's see how this one goes. So no one told you life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke. You're broke. Your love no. life's DOA. It's like you're always stuck in second gear when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. But... What's the rest of it? These are hard. They are hard they when are you're hard. speaking them. I agree. Um, but I know that I know what. What? Okay, so so we'll open it up. What's the name? What's the show? Friends. Friends. That yes. is Friends. Friends. Okay. So when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year, but I'll be there. I'll be there for you. All right. So that's Friends. All right. <laughs> I, Elizabeth, understand you know this. I'm I'm trying to span a couple different decades <laughs> because if if I just did all the shows that MJ and myself and Maz knew, we would be kicking all the young folks. Uh, wouldn't listen to us anymore. So I'm I'm trying to be somewhat relevant. Maybe you can right. hum it. <laughs> okay. Can we do multiple choice? Ah, uh, it's too late for that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So maybe here, we can spell it. Here's number three. Number three. This this one is probably no pressure, but probably the easiest of all of them. All right. Uh oh. Oh no. Love, exciting and new. Come aboard. We're expecting you. Oh my God! Is that the love boat? Love. <laughs> Ding yeah. Very good. Very good. The love boat. Good job. Yes. I see you've right. been on that cruise before, huh? <laughs> <laughs> She's been on that cruise. Yes. All right, Elizabeth. Here we go. We're gonna do number four. We got two more. Number four. Um, this, this one is relevant and could be a little interesting. We'll see. I woke up in a Soho doorway. A policeman knew my name. He said, you can go to sleep at home tonight if you can get up and walk away. I staggered back to the underground and the breeze blew back my hair. I remember throwing punches around and preaching from my chair. Well, who are you? I have, Boy, no, I have no idea. What? Who are you? Who, 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 who are you? So what's that's the not show? a TV show, is it? That's, that, it that's belongs, a it's a TV show uses that song. Oh, boy, I agree with you. That would be The Who, by the way, but what popular, <laughs> yeah, right, show, right. What popular TV show <laughs> uses that theme? Boy, I have no idea. None that I know. And that would be CSI. Yeah. Okay. Oh, really? Oh, yes. oh wow. Really? Yep. Boy, uh, yeah. Wow. yeah. Dr. Forensic Meteorologist, that would be CSI, right? All right. Wow. Last one, and this one's going to be – this one was uh, – there's no way I would get this either, so there's no oh, pressure right. for this one. Right. But but we had to include something newer. This is a newer television show. Uh, here it goes. And, and I'll, I'll just give you a heads up now. This is by the Bare Naked Ladies. Mm-hmm. Our whole universe was in a hot, oh, dense state. Yeah. Then nearly 14 Got billion it. years ago, Got expansion it. started Wait. The earth began to cool. The autotrophs began to drool. Neanderthals mm-hmm. developed tools. We built a wall. They we built, built the, the pyramids. Wall. 
Math, science, history, unraveling the mysteries. They all started that with all started the Big Bang. With... Hey, what TV show is that from? Is that the Big Bang Theory? Yeah! yeah! Big Bang. yeah! All right. Yeah. Amazing. I got that. I, I actually have never seen that show. <laughs> oh, wow. Shot in the dark. <laughs> Way to finish. Good job. Awesome. Good job, Penny. <laughs> well, well done. done. All right. That that was outstanding. So uh good job, Elizabeth. That was good. Hope you had fun with that. Uh we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and take our first break for Brady Storm School. And when we get you know, I haven't even gotten Brady Storm School, so we might not have, <laughs> we might not have it. If I'll tell you what, for our listeners, if as soon as I break, if you get Brady Storm School, surprise. Uh, if you won't, because we had we haven't gotten surprise again. Uh, but when we come back, we'll have some fun discussing the importance of knowing where you live so you don't die. This is Storm School, where together we'll take an in-depth look into certain weather phenomenon, why they happen where they happen, what causes them. Some topics we'll cover with things you might have never heard before or things you've heard a lot. Welcome to Storm School. Class yeah. is in session. Hello once again, guys. I'm Brady. Welcome to Storm School. Today we're going to be talking about the big bad polar vortex, which a lot of you are experiencing in some way or another this week with the frigid temperatures that are making their way into the United States. Um, so I'm going to talk about exactly what it is, why it's here, some popular misconceptions that people may have, um, and what's the future going to look like for the polar vortex this winter. So let's start off with what exactly this thing called the polar vortex is. So the polar vortex is actually a low pressure um, that's high up in the atmosphere, in, in upper levels of the atmosphere, um, and it's actually located or centered over the poles, over the North Pole, um, and it's pretty much always there. It doesn't just appear out of nowhere. Um, it, it usually sits over that area, over upper parts of Canada, over the North Pole, even over parts of Siberia. Um, and then how does this upper level low pressure system which has very 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 cold air underneath it at the surface um, but the actual system is in the upper atmosphere um, but how does that come into the United States how does that come into Canada or lower parts of Canada so basically um, throughout the winter you can have certain patterns like very strong high pressure systems over western Canada you can have very strong um, dips in the jet stream that bring very cold Canadian air down. Um, it's during those patterns where the um, polar vortex will actually, you know, either shift southward or a piece of it will break off and come and invade the United States like it is now. Usually the entire polar vortex won't come into the United States and sit over, you know, Ohio or something like that. Usually just a piece of it or the southern edge will be in the United States, but sometimes, you know, it, it, it can happen, but more likely than not, it's, it's usually just pieces of the polar vortex. So then what happens when those pieces break off and come into the United States, you get very, very, very cold air for a long period of time, um, like we're seeing this week, and then going into next week even, 
um, you'll actually have the polar vortex retreating and then coming back southward as we go into Monday and Tuesday when we could get very cold air. Um, so that's what the polar vortex is. It's not um, some popular misconceptions about it. People are saying that the polar vortex is quote unquote coming. You know, it's it's coming out of nowhere. Like it's coming out of nowhere. That's not true. It's always there. It's always been there. Um, it's even there in the summer, but it's very far north and it never retreats southward into the United States because the jet stream is too the, you know the jet stream is too far north, so it keeps that piece that polar vortex to the north. Another misconception, people think it causes a lot of snow. People think, oh my god, the polar vortex is coming. This is going to be this huge storm. In reality, it's it's fairly calm underneath the polar vortex. There's not a lot of very strong winds and there's not a lot of snow. You know, oftentimes it's very dry underneath that low, upper level low. You know, what causes the storm systems are the jet stream to the south because the jet stream helps bring that polar vortex down and it, the jet stream is basically the boundary between cold air and warmer air so what you know so a storm system can form along that boundary but it doesn't necessarily form because of the polar vortex um, <clears throat> so that's what it can cause that's some of the popular misconceptions um, don't be fooled next time they say the polar vortex is coming you know, check your facts. Sometimes it's not even the polar vortex. Sometimes it's just a piece of it, or it's a you know a, a piece of Canadian air that's that's very chilled. Because um, when the polar vortex comes, you're getting air from Siberia sometimes in the North Pole that crosses over the North Pole. You know that's where that air is coming from. It's not coming from Canada, because um, that air you know it, it wouldn't be at, it's not as cold as as some of that polar air that you're getting. So that's something to keep in mind. Hope you enjoyed this little tidbit of information and be careful next time people are talking about the polar vortex because sometimes it's not necessarily true or it's not necessarily completely accurate. All right, let's get back to the podcast. All right, welcome back. So either you just listened to Brady Storm School or you didn't. At this point, I really don't know if you did or not. But uh, we have Elizabeth uh, joining us for our discussion segment to kind of help explain the challenges of, of knowing your state and county geography and how that fits into storm warnings and, and just the weather in your area. And so what I, what I want to bring up is just recently there's been a little hubbub about that. And we have two different angles on this. One angle is actually from the National Weather Service, the Birmingham office. They had a Facebook post. And the post uh, says this, says, folks, we can't emphasize enough how important it is to know where you live. And that's all in caps. Uh, but everything from the National Weather Service seems to always be in all caps. But Until just recently. <laughs> right, yeah, I know. Until just recently. Yeah. In order to adequately protect yourself you. and your loved ones, you must, capitals, be able to pick out your location on a map. It's as simple as that. And then they go on to say, we create... We create or issue our forecast and severe weather graphics for your benefit, uh, caps. No matter how much information we give you, it won't be of much good if you can't determine whether your location is highlighted on the graphics. So Now, there uh, was a smiley face at the end of that, right? <laughs> I, you know what? Funny thing is, there was. At the very end, it says, thanks for your help and understanding, smiley face. <laughs> oh, about that? That, that was better. the H, HR department, yeah. Yeah. Um, so first off, I guess national that's coming from the National Weather Service, and I think there's some legitimacy to what they're saying. However, 
What do you guys feel about them saying that? Well, I think I like what they say. It is a little harsh, but there you have to take some personal responsibility when it comes to severe weather um, and storms. Because um, I used to be an on-camera meteorologist. I would post on social and people would be like, but what's going to happen here, here or at my house? And I'm trying to, you know, it's hard to figure out, do they not know, you know, their location when I post an image? And basically, like, if I post, make a Facebook post, I, you know, have a paragraph of, you know, when the weather's going to come, where it's going to impact first. Um, I go kind of in depth. I have an image, but people will still ask, but what about where I live in my town? And I don't know if it's they just see quickly see the post and they skim it, but they don't really read it and they just want to know because they're scared or, you know, they're just lazy and don't read the post. It's they don't know where they're located on the map. It's a combination of many things. But I think what the National Weather Service is trying to do is make sure that people have to take on some kind of responsibility for their safety in severe weather and in anything in general. And I think it's important, but also there may be ways that we can help educate people too about like what county they live in, you know, some kind of education when there isn't severe weather. So when they hear their county is under a tornado warning, they know to take shelter when, you know, in case if they didn't know, they wouldn't know what to do. Well, you, you, let me just quick add this here and you guys can keep talking, but you bring up Janet, the other, the second part of this and the whole knowing where you live scenario, which is uh, James Spann, who's a a well-known TV meteorologist down in the Alabama, uh, Birmingham, Alabama area. Uh, He had a blog post on medium.com kind of talking about a lot of the same things, but as he was uh, talking about storms, He said, it's always been a mystery. I'll spend considerable time putting together a simple and easy to understand map or graphic that describes the coming weather threats and risk posted on social media. And right out of the gate, the first comments are like, what about Coleman? What about Jasper? What about Pell City? And he says it goes on and on. He said a simple two minute read of the blog post or a good review of the posted map or graphic is going to answer those questions. But he says year after year, I keep getting those questions. And I think every meteorologist probably across the country in the world is in his same boat because I experienced it. Maz, I'm sure you experienced it too. And it is one of those things, do they just not want to click a link to a blog post and read through it? Or they just want to know the answer now where they live? How How is it going to impact me over my house, you know, at what exact time? And it's funny, like, with that being said, I would always get questions about, like, exactly when is going to going to impact me here like they want a specific exact time which you know weather isn't an exact science obviously so you know it's always so hard so I think it's multiple things going on there where some people don't know their geography where they live others you know just maybe are lazy and just you know want to know for them and they just don't want to click or they're nervous and they're scared and it drives them not to like read thoroughly through everything and just ask, but, but where, what about me? You know? So, so here's a, yeah. here's a, here's a question and maybe Maz and, and you can talk about what Jen said, but then also this, I, I wonder, and I'm not making any comments by this, but uh, is it a generational thing? And maybe Maz, you know that because I'll take my, my son, for example, who's 14 and I, I bought him a, I bought him a paper, not bought him. I got him a free Minnesota state map for his birthday and said, here, study this because we can be driving from our home. They to still our, sell those? 
they don't sell them to give them away at the okay. state fair. And stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, free means exactly. But he, you know, they can't give them. I mean, they they make lots of them. I don't think they can give them all away. Anyway, um, we'll be driving from our house to our, our lake place, which is about ninety miles away, and we go through the same places all the time. And I'll ask him, "Where are we?" And he's no idea. Absolutely no idea. And, and, you know, he'll say somewhere that's completely different, you know, that we maybe go through, but that he doesn't. And I'm thinking, wow, have we lost, you know, has, has our youth lost that ability to really know where they are in relation to other things, you know? And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious about that. But then I think back to the uh, early nineties when I worked for a uh, radio station in Huron, South Dakota, and I went through a couple of severe weather events in the summertime and uh, we always, I, I, at that time, I still had people call me when I'd be talking about, you know, severe storms for certain counties and they call me and say, am I in that? Do I, you know, mm-hmm. so maybe it isn't, but I don't know, Maz or anybody, do you, do you think is it generational or not? Has yeah. this been going on forever? Well, to answer the first question way back there, congratulations and kudos to the guy from the weather service. And oh, by the way, you're fired uh, because you probably <laughs> should not say those things, you know. <laughs> And, and and the same thing is true on TV, too. I mean, you get the people that are doing You're thinking to yourself, you don't say this, but you're thinking to yourself, unless you're a little kid or you just moved into the area, why the heck don't you know where you live? And I might say to them, well, I'll tell you what, um, I'll try and give you a call a little bit later, Bob. And then I raise one eyebrow because I'm not calling him, right? <laughs> and then the third thing is, you get the survival of the fittest thing, too, where you're like, oh, sorry, Bob. He's not going to be with us next year. <laughs> and it's just because, you know, it's like, come on. Oh, yes. <laughs> now, you never say that on TV, right? Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> then the general manager comes down. But, but no, I, I think you're right. I think there's everything is easy that, or I should say, everything has become so easy that we give our kids things that they don't even really have to work at a lot of things. I And I'll just say this from the standpoint of being like 52 and talking to the millennials out there. If you put forth just a little bit of effort, you're going to surpass a lot of your peers. Right. You know, Maz, I'm a millennial, right. I think. <laughs> hey, Well, uh, look uh, at you. Well, seriously, you have surpassed. You have 99% of your peers. I'm sure. (laughs) Elizabeth, let me ask you, has has geography, has that come up in any of your forensic cases of not knowing people, not knowing their geography when it comes to weather, whether it's any of the insurance cases you've worked on or anything like that or what forensic means. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, what forensics means does, but you know, geography just in, well, not not so much in terms of geography, but in terms of just common sense, you know, yeah. um, terrain, situations, is it icing, is it snowing, raining, whatever, just pretty much basic common sense comes up quite a bit, but um, which probably plays hand in hand with this geography question. Right. <laughs> well, let, let, let me bring this up from the consumer standpoint, because I, I will throw this out there. I've, I have, um, I have lived for extended periods in, uh, oh gosh, I don't know. I'll throw out, you know, four, maybe prison. five, five different areas. Prison was not one of them, no. Um, <laughs> but but here's the thing: some states, their county maps, their county boundaries, are just square. 
square, square, yeah. square, rectangle, rectangle, rectangle. Right. Mm-hmm. And if sometimes, I'll be honest with you, if some of those maps don't show either major roadways or if you can't right. identify the river boundaries, mm-hmm. some of those state maps that, that the media is showing of these and the National Weather Service is showing, uh, I, I feel for some of the people in some of these states. Now, not all states, but some of these states, it's just squares and rectangles. Good luck. Yeah, yeah that's true. You know, sometimes we did that on purpose. We would take the states, rivers, city names off and just put a pinpoint and go, good luck with that, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and I'll say, too, not everybody had to sit in the front seat uh, of the car driving, navigating for their father all the time either, which, you know, is probably how (laughs) I learned my map, at least for my our, our state. It's the whole thing. It's so interesting. And it all plays into you know, our goal as a, you know, a meteorologist, whether on camera or not, is to make sure you disseminate the information about severe weather and, and weather in general to people so they understand it and they can make, you know, the proper, you know, adjustments or whatever to their daily lives. Or if there's severe weather, they know where to, you know, take shelter or when to take shelter. But it's, it, it's a lot of it, it it's so difficult because, when there's severe weather and people die, you wonder why, like, did they not know where they were on the map and, and didn't know they were under a severe threat or, you know, what was the reasoning behind it? They, did they not have a safe place to go? And I think it's something that meteorologists are just trying to, you know, we want to save lives and we just want to get down to, you know, we want people to understand the forecast and, and just make it. So the next severe weather event, there's no deaths at all whatsoever. And it just, but it, what I said before, it all comes down to the personal responsibility. You, you always are, you know, you can't just rely on, you know, people to tell you things, you know, if you move to a new area or you're traveling, you should know what city kind of surrounding areas where you're going. So in case there is severe weather or or something else going on, you know, you get stuck on the side of the road, you know, where you are or kind of in the general vicinity. Um, And I think that plays a part in it. And maybe when, local TV stations and National Weather Service offices have their kind of, you know, weather fairs, they can maybe give out, you know, some maps of with cities and counties so people, you know, can learn them better. Or or maybe we just need to educate better somehow. I mean, it's hard to do that on a newscast, but maybe in blogs, it's, it's difficult. Because like, I got a geography degree. I love geography. So I'm like, I always look at maps. I'm like, this is fun, you know, but But I guess if you're not a, you know, geek like that, you know, there are some things about other subjects, you know, and, and fields that I know nothing about. So, I mean, it's, I I understand, but it's, it's difficult. So, so from an geography major, no, I'm going to quiz her on this. You love geography. What are the only two state capitals that rhyme? See, don't do that to me, Mads. Don't do that to me. Don't do it. All right. Don't hey, it's it. your honeymoon. It's your honeymoon. It's, it's still only your... Guys. I'm drinking yeah, we'll, we'll, let you, we'll let you off the hook. That's right. okay, Jen. It's fine. Okay. So from... You so don't know? ever do it again. I know. Austin and so, Boston. Austin and oh, yeah, Boston. Right. No, there you go. Okay. So from an educational okay, standpoint... From an education standpoint, you know, when I, when I see... Uh, both on social media and on, you know, weathercasts on the news and and so on. When I see them put the maps up, most of the time they always have the same cities there with the same, uh, the same 
you know, temperatures and, and conditions and things like that. Yeah. You know, would it, has it ever been considered those of you who've done that in mixing that up a little bit, or is that just because it's a pain to do and, or is it because, I mean, I, I don't know, is that an educational thing that could be done? Mix well, it up a little bit. So people see different cities that are close to them on the maps. In that, my last job, we actually did that. We kind of oh, okay. got like, uh, we zoomed into different areas of our, our DMA, our region that we covered. And we, we, we did switch the cities because people are always like, you never mentioned my town. And I right. understand that. I love hearing my town. Even now, like when someone mentions my town, you know, on TV, I'm like, that's my town. Yeah, you right. know, I don't know why. It's exciting. <laughs> Um, but no, we do do that, but I, I totally understand though, especially nationally, I think it's hard because we want to make sure people identify with the largest cities. I think that's what people, most people identify with, but then of course it's harder to understand exactly where you are between those large cities. You know, I get the, you know, spatial resolution, you know, um, there. So it's hard. I don't know if you just instead of just one tweet, you put out multiple tweets of different regions. So they're more like zoomed in and, and they have a better understanding of the smaller towns. I mean, and that maybe is something we should be doing, you know, especially on social and, and on air too. But then again, I, I know we'll always still have those people that'll be like, but what oh, yeah. about me? You oh know? yeah. Yeah. So well, tell us, uh, tell us what you guys think. You can comment by email at questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or you can comment on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash stormfrontfreaks or our Twitter account at stormfrontfreak. Uh, we'll share your responses on our next show. So we're going to go ahead and take another break. Uh, oh, do you have something? Yeah, I was going to say, couldn't we get the name to be the same in all of them? Because every time there's not an S or there is an S. I mean, I'm here, and I still get messed up by that. So. Uh, Someone's already uh, taken. Twitter, Twitter only allows you to put so many um, letters, and so unfortunately, uh, I couldn't fit that S on Stormfront Freak. So Twitter is the only one that just doesn't have the S on it. Note you're, to Twitter: You're fired. Okay. <laughs> All right. So anyway, we're gonna take a break, uh, and we're gonna let you know on the break how you can win Dr. Elizabeth Austin's book, "Treading on Thin Air." Uh, we're gonna send this to a lucky listener. And when we come back, we'll throw our weather fools under the bus and share some weather resources. All right, folks, it's contest time again. This time, up for grabs is a copy of Dr. Elizabeth Austin's book, Treading on Thin Air, Atmospheric Physics, Forensic Meteorology, and Climate Change, How Weather Shapes Our Everyday Lives. The book is part memoir and reveals how the weather and climate are intimately tied to our daily lives. Dr. Austin is a great storyteller, as you have heard here on the Stormfront Freaks podcast. We thank her and her publisher, Pegasus Books, for providing a copy to give to one of our lucky listeners. Now, here's how you win. Between now and midnight Eastern Standard Time on December 28th, send your name and address by email to info at stormfrontfreaks.com. That's info at stormfrontfreaks.com. We will select one random winner from among all entries on our show recorded on December 29th. You can also go to stormfrontfreaks.com for details. And if you would like to purchase a copy of Dr. Austin's book, check out www.treadingonthinair.com. It is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon Prime, iTunes, and other online retailers. Again, to enter the contest, send your name and address to info at stormfrontfreaks.com by midnight, December 28th. Good luck, and now back to the podcast. All right, welcome back. I'm going to go ahead and lead us through our weather fools. Um, MJ, why don't you start us off? What do you got? Oh, okay. I'm going to try to oh, share. Sorry. The 
Nope, I'm yeah. ready. I'm you know, ready. I should introduce that. I'm not used to doing that. Brady usually does that. And I think he he's skipping for the Star Wars movie tonight. I don't know. But uh, so our Weather Fools, this is an opportunity for us to share and throw somebody or a group of people under the bus that in a weather situation are just making dumb, bad decisions or just doing some really stupid crap uh, when it comes to weather. So MJ, what do you got? Oh, I see it. Okay, good. So you, you see it on there. Yeah. I, um, uh, this was fairly recently in, in November. Um, and, uh, this was in the UK and it was a breakfast weatherman makes a gaffe as he forecasts a snowstorm heading to Cornwall. And for those of you who are watching the video, you can see that he's pointing at, uh, a area of cloudiness or fog that has a certain phallic, uh, shape to it and, <laughs> uh, that white that white thing. That well it's a, oh sorry i'm sorry it's a snowstorm sorry it's a snowstorm making its way across southern uh uh great britain so that's a big yeah and snowstorm right there it, it, it is it is and uh wow. he, he caught some flack on social media as you can imagine uh for that yeah. he was pointing it out or or did he mention that it looked phallic i don't believe it? i don't believe see i don't there's not video for it, it's just the picture i don't right. believe he's even said anything about it so i'm either he didn't realize it or he purposefully didn't say anything about it uh but you can certainly see it you know it's so. funny like just making a comment about this when i used to be an on-camera meteorologist making my own graphics there were a couple times where before we went on air you know one of my coworkers would be like jen do you know what that looks like and i'm like good point i'll just do a little edit. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. There, there was uh, there was a situation. I know a, few, a number of episodes back, one of our weather fools was a similar situation, but it was a funnel cloud that oh. looked phallic, uh-huh. and that that as well was pointed out uh, to people. So, <laughs> yeah, it it happens. Sometimes. I've got a weather fool as well, and and this uh, what recently is very recent here, winter storm that went through Oregon and Portland. And it reminded me a little bit, though not nearly as severe as as the storm that went through Atlanta a few years back, where just, you know, an inch kind of shut the whole city down. But uh, this was from the usnews.com, talking a little bit about, uh, in Portland, the snow that they were getting, you know, and the picture shows someone riding a bike uh, along with the bicycle, uh, Mm -hmm. sorry, not a motorbike, but a bicycle along with traffic. Uh, but they basically talked about how the, it basically shut the city down. Everything was shut down uh, because of the snow it was coming. And I'm, again, it's a situation where this stuff was forecasted. They said people were trying to get out of work early to try and beat the traffic. And, of course, that didn't work because everybody was trying to get out of work early. Right. And everybody was driving and everybody drove. Nobody prepared with advance warning mm. that a winter storm warning, uh, mind you, was already forecasted to be coming, yet everybody drove to work like normal, knowing Ugh. this was probably going to happen during the day. Just nobody uh, at all preparing for this. So, you know, it, it doesn't blanket everybody being a weather fool that, that lives in a city like that and just didn't plan. But just in general, the, the lack of planning in advance that people will make, thinking that it won't affect them, and then all yeah. they do is when it does finally affect them is kind of bitch and complain about it. And I mean, people were stuck in traffic for hours, school buses stuck in traffic for hours, uh, very similar to uh, Atlanta a few years ago. So 
that uh, that is my weather fool is some of the people in Portland and the general public. And, and Phil's views do not necessarily express the views of Stormfront Freaks, and we love the people of course in not. Yeah. Well, I think it's yes, hard sometimes <laughs> for people to break their normal routine. They just don't want to do it, and I think that's part of the problem until it's really bad or they see it happening. Get reports. You're, and that's it. Uh, and it's just lack of preparation. You're exactly right. Yeah. All right. So uh, we'll we'll post those on stormfrontfreaks.com on our website uh, within the show notes. So if you want to actually go to those links, you'll see that. Uh, let's talk about our WX resources, Maz. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Phil. So weather resources, either the places you can go to check out the new apps, the new just cool weather stuff that maybe you haven't seen before. So when we point it out, everybody goes to it, and they're, all the people on those sites are happy because they're like, hey, we got like 10,000 more people, right? <laughs> That's assuming we have 10,000. Absolutely. Right Absolutely. <clears throat> exactly. So to kick us off, let's go with ladies first. MJ, go ahead. Oh, thank you very much, Mass. I always appreciate that. Beauty before age. All right. Um, hey, my uh, my weather resource is uh, I'm, I'm trying. It's kind of pertinent, I think, considering the grips of the polar vortex that so many people are in right now, um, and the low temperatures that we're experiencing around this time, or at least at the time that we're recording. the The Centers for Disease Control of all places. Um, has a natural disasters and severe weather uh, section to their website. Uh, and they have a winter, winter weather uh, guide um, and some other winter weather information. And I think, you know, as I looked over it, I thought this is actually really good stuff, especially for those people that aren't used to it. And, and we're having, you know, we've, we've seen some of that this year. And, and, you know, very likely we'll see more of that uh, later on as the year. So, um, you know, I'll make sure we get the link to that posted and people can take a look at that and share that out to others, because I really think they do a very, very good job um, of talking about all kinds of things from hypothermia to frostbite to uh, preparing before a storm, what to do during a storm, after it and so on. So uh, a very good website for uh, Lord knows no one's going to read that. Pardon? How to prepare. How to prepare. Yeah, you know. Good resource. But maybe they've cool. been maybe they, maybe they've been through one now and they go, hey, maybe I ought to that's take true. a look for next time. All right, that's there you a go. Positive way to look huh. at. Good. Point. And you're saying that's the CDC, right? CDC. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, Jen. All right, guys. This is got? really exciting. Every Thursday morning, I chomp at the bit because I cannot wait for this to come out, and it is the weekly U.S. Drought Monitor. Probably one of the most exciting Whoa. things that can happen to a meteorologist awesome. every week. And it, <laughs> it comes out every Thursday morning. And it, it basically has a really deep analysis of, you know, the different uh, drought sections and um, or areas and what's going on there and compares it to the week before. There's lots of different things you can do there. And, you know, the Southeast has been in a, a pretty bad drought. We call it the Desert Southeast um, on the Weather Channel. And we're finally seeing some improvement. But this is a really good tool we use to understand the, the scope of the drought, you know, how it gradually got worse over the past several months. And hopefully it's now continuing to improve. But it's a really good resource. And I love it. 
So are you every so Thursday are, morning when you're chomping at the bit, are you wearing your Stormfront Freaks diaper then to work every Thursday morning? <laughs> I'm so sure, man. I'm in like a whole bodysuit of Stormfront Freaks and I'm just like, guys, I don't know what to do. I'm about to lose it. And then it comes out and I'm, you know, I, just, <laughs> oh, I don't know how to handle myself, you know, just watching paint dry. Unfortunately we are. Yeah. <laughs> I like to be, I like to be a little bit more positive, Jan, and watch the monsoon report, just saying. But anyway, yeah. all right, so um, who do we got left? Oh, hey, Phil, you're last but not least, right? Yeah, all right. So my, my WX resource actually ties in a little bit to my weather fools. So here's, so here's uh, people in Portland. Everybody's getting out of work because it's uh, a winter storm warning, which they knew about in advance, and yet everybody's getting stuck on the same flipping road. Uh, my WX resource is an app called Waze, W-A-Z-E. Uh, it is, I've been on this sucker for a few years now. I think it was recently purchased by Google, but it's basically a free GPS app. And what's great about it is every user can input information about traffic and is traffic really bad right now. So it will give you real-time information uh, not only of where the police are, which is really one of the things I like most about it, but those of you that are in a city where there's been a pre-forecasted storm and you're still all trying to leave work at the same time in your vehicles because you didn't prepare, get out your Waze app on your Android or iPhone, and it will tell you, don't go this way because traffic is really bad and route you around a different direction. It's actually it really fun on road trips, too. When it you're is, not yeah. driving, so. <laughs> when she's not texting. I know when I'm not texting. No, it's fun because you can, like, name your car and stuff like that. Yes, like, you can yeah. do fun, like, things with it. And then you pass people yeah, and you're yeah. like, hey, that's, like, you know, I don't know, so-and-so. That's Bud. That's Bill. And you can also not get stuck in traffic for multiple, multiple hours because you took the same route you take every day after work. But there's a snowstorm and there's an avalanche and that road is blocked. Uh, go a different route. Avalanche. Kind of, <laughs> I know. I, I, I did. No, it really, it really happened in Portland. That's why one of the major highways was uh, blocked off. Yeah, people oh, wow. still kept just taking that route and backing up further and further. All right. So uh, we'll, yeah, we'll we post all you, those on our show notes, uh, stormfrontfreaks.com. And I said it wasn't everybody. Right, you know who you are, listeners. You know who you are. If it wasn't you, don't don't worry about it. Right. Love all right. Show. So uh, we'll post all that stuff. Show notes. Stormfrontfreaks dot com. MJ, we have any listener comments or responses? We've got a couple um, at uh, DDWX um, uh, mentioned on Twitter. Uh, shared out uh, to a number of their followers that they can now follow Stormfront Freaks. So it was a nice, uh, nice plug from, from uh, Daniel. Uh, And then I think Phil was uh, having a conversation with Ryan Davidson um, about uh, our guest, Tom Nizzle, kind of wanting to warn him, uh, having Ryan warn him about uh, our show since Ryan had been a guest uh, before. (laughs) And uh, Ryan made a nice comment about uh, Stormfront Freaks being a circus train wreck and so much fun. So uh, we're, we're happy for Ryan to uh, well, give us it, a little it, shout You missed out. part of that because he said W okay, yeah. uh, WTV, so Weather Underground that he he produces. It is a train wreck, yeah. Is a train wreck. And then he said, but Stormfront Freaks is a circus train wreck. And right. then, of course, yeah. he added, added the smiley face at the end, so everything's okay. 
winky smiley face. And and I'll say this on on the previous tweet. (laughs) On the previous tweet you mentioned, uh, where someone said you can now follow Follow Stormfront Freaks or something. Yeah. Uh, That came because there was a, I think it was a TV meteorologist that mentioned um, Stormfront not being a real name of a weather phenomenon. He said there's cold front and there's storm system. Oh, sure. And, and so that probably didn't show up there, but, uh, and so that person said, well, you can, you know, you can follow Stormfront Freaks uh, podcast. And then I, uh, there was a comment from us saying something like, you know, cold front freaks or storm system freaks just didn't have the same ring to it. Ah, right. Um, so, plus so we had already, we had already printed all our diapers, so it didn't matter. Right. right. <laughs> so either you have to take over doing the listener comment segment or I have all to right. watch our social media better. Well, probably probably I need to give you better information uh, and you can watch more too. But all right, so that does it for this episode of Stormfront Freaks podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening. I'll tell you, if you like the show, tell your friends and take two minutes to leave us a review on iTunes. And if you didn't like the show, uh, tell us. Uh, We love hearing from you and all our numbers uh, keep going up like crazy every episode. So we want to hear from all of you. Let us know. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Elizabeth Austin. And our next episode in two weeks, uh, which will start off season 2.0 with a bang, we have Kelly Williamson, uh, Storm Chaser and star of the Weather Channel Storm Wranglers, is actually going to be our guest in two weeks. Awesome. And listen to this, uh, (laughs) our 2017 lineup. I'm going to give you guys a sneak peek. It's, It's already scheduled to include former Weather Channel meteorologist Kim Cunningham, social scientist, Dr. Laura Myers, and then check out our, our chase season guests that we have coming up for the chase season. We've got Chris Sanner of Tornado Titans, Corey Hartman of Severe Studios, Gabe Garfield of Behind the Storms, and Reed Timmer of AccuWeather, uh, all going to be coming nice. on wow. uh, nice. here coming up in 2017. So uh, guys, we're, we're trying to make it even better and better. We, we know it always has to do with the guests. Uh, Lord knows that. So we keep trying to get uh, the best guests in here for you guys. And we want to answer your questions or discuss your comments on future shows. So send us your thoughts to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or send a message on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, tell us who you'd like us to have on the show or any fun topics you'd like us to discuss. Give us a heads up. And uh, MJ will share that on future shows as well. So for MJ, Maz, and Jen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Bill Murray. uh, From Groundhog Day or Bill Murray? Yes. No, no, from Yeah, but we'll have to record it in the summer. Just saying. Okay, so, you know. (laughs) Uh, Fair enough. Fair enough. So for MJ, Maz, and Jen, I'm going to go ahead and signal the all clear, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. To subscribe and be notified when new episodes of our bi-weekly show are available, you can go to iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app and search for Stormfront Freaks. If you would like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter at Stormfront Freak. We'd love to hear from you. 
For show notes, additional information about this episode, as well as past and upcoming shows, videos, photos, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you're there, check out the interactive radar provided by our friends at zoomradar.com, providing interactive weather content for web, mobile, and digital displays at cost-effective prices, zoomradar.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stormfrontfreaks. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.